So we are entering into a new, uh, kind of a short series, and it is on John 17. Uh, John 17 is a, a passage, it's a special passage. Uh, as we look at Easter uh, and we, we see the excitement and the hope of Easter brings, we kind of take a little bit of a retro look back on what happened before uh, Jesus actually went to the cross. And so we step back just a little bit one day, in fact, where uh, Jesus offers up what is called the high priestly prayer. In fact, there are several different names for this. This prayer is named the Lord's Prayer, the longest prayer, the high priestly prayer, and the great intercessory prayer in different places. People kind of acknowledge that this prayer is very special. It is by Jesus, and it has uh, some, several components to it, uh, of which I'm just going to cover the very first part of it, and then Pastor Child will be covering the latter part uh, later on. So this, today, we're going to look at as Jesus prays. He prays for himself, and then he prays for his apostles, and then he prays for his disciples in, the, in, chap, in chapter 17. So as we see this today, uh, we'll start out with his prayer for himself. Now, if you have ever uh, been just in the process of maybe uh, an anticipation of something that you are maybe looking forward to, uh, when I think when you're in grade school or when you're a little kid, you want to be like your big brother or sister, and you want to go along with them, and I can't wait till I can get to middle school. And then when you're in middle school, you want to do what? Yeah, you want to get to high school. And when you get to high school, well, you want your driver's license in between that, okay? And then once you have your driver's license, you want to get a what? Out of the house. Okay. There's a lot of options from here, okay? So out of the house, your own car, yada. So after, you, after you're in high school, you might want to do what after that? Go to college or just get out of the house. One of the two or both, probably. And so as you see this, you kind of start seeing this idea that you're never really, what? Satisfied with where you are because you're always looking forward to something that's ahead of you. And then you're looking forward to that job, that killer job. And then when you get that killer job, what do you want? You want to retire, right? You're kind of looking ahead. You move about 30 or 40 years ahead, and you're just... And it's something that's actually called destination disease. I don't think it's in any kind of a code manual or anything, but it is a disease that we're always looking forward to the destination, and we're never really where? Right here in the present. And so as we kind of see this prayer of Jesus, I want you to imagine just the idea that there might be a destination disease that is actually kind of infectious in the church amongst us, people who believe, uh, who believe God and who are followers of him. So as we do that, we kind of recognize that we're here at this present time, and what should we be doing right now? So there's this acknowledgement that the disease exists, and then what now? So as we look at this passage, uh, we're going to see some things. First, we're going to see that Jesus prays for himself, and that he, then he moves on and prays for his apostles. And we're not going to see today, but he's going to pray for all believers uh, in the, the end of chapter 17. He starts out, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may be glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. 
I have revealed you to those whom you have gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have uh, given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. So we see as we read through this prayer, the very first part of this prayer, uh, Jesus uh, requests for himself, and maybe that seems like a strange thing to you that Jesus would request for himself, but as uh, God has an order of things, Jesus submitted himself to the Father while he came down in this minuscule portion of Jesus' existence because he has existed for all eternity before and will all eternity pass. He came down for a short about 33 years on this earth. And during that period of time, he submitted himself to the Father, being fully equal with the Father, but taking on a role that was submissive to him. And so he prays to him in a way that is very, very interesting and kind of enlightening to see. This is how Jesus sees this relationship as he's on earth and about ready to leave the earth. And so it says, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. And they are just leaving the upper room uh, they are now probably walking outside because he looked up, and I can't imagine anything else, but he's looking up, and he's looking to the Father. Um, and you, you see this prayer of him, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. And so he's requesting God to do what? To glorify him, to glorify him, which is kind of an interesting perspective. We would probably never want to do that because there's some ramifications with that, uh, lest you fall. But Jesus is saying, glorify me. And the way he says it is in a way that is in a union with the Father. That let, They have a plan that is so intricately uh, connected that Jesus actually has the will of the Father. And so he and the Father are in one with this. And so as he goes to glorify him, he prays that. Well, we look at this, and this hour has come. And Jesus finally says this hour has come, and this hour has been waiting for a long time. Previously in John 7, it says this, As they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. So there were several instances where they said, Oh, this is when he's going to be, become the Messiah and the King. And it says in the text that his hour has not yet come. And yet here where Jesus is uh, praying to the Father, he says, Now the hour has come. This is the finale to his whole ministry. As we look at John 8.20, 8, the same thing is true. Moving on to John, John 17.2, For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. So Jesus has been granted authority. The Father has granted him authority to all for all people. Meaning that Jesus has this authority when he's on earth. Uh, the time when, when Satan tempted Jesus. Remember he tempted him and he offered him several things that were here on the earth. And you know what's true of all of those things? Jesus could have accepted every single one of those. Yep, I will do this. Yeah, that sounds good to me. That sounds good to me. But what did he do? He rejected them even though he had the authority all along to even have those things, even without the offer. 
He had all power. He didn't even need the temptation because it was already there. It's kind of like when, I kind of think of it this way, when you got like some extra cash in your, your pocket, you have the freedom to do what with it? Buy a kayak. <laughs> to spend it on something that is maybe not a necessity, but, but lots of fun, right? But you exercise this kind of discipline to not do those things. And so even when Jesus was tempted, even with all of his power in his pocket, spiritual pocket, so to say, he withheld and put himself under the Father for the Father's plan and will to work out. Because if Jesus would have accepted all of those things, what would happen to you and I? Would it be good or bad? It would have been bad. If Jesus would have set himself up as the king at that point in time, what would that leave for you and I? It would leave us with our sin. It would leave us with not the hope of Easter, that no one would come to die for us who's perfect, who could actually step in our place and get on the cross for us. Jesus submitted himself because he knew the plan was better than him, that better than to be tempted to take the short course and to go through something that would be much less painful, but for our sake to go through and pay for our sins. And so he, he gives him this authority, the Father does, uh, that he might grant e eternal life to all those who have given him. So the Father has given him you. If you belong to Christ, the Father has given you to Jesus. And in a way, Jesus to, to the Father as well. It's, there inter, there's an interplay for sure. But what we see here is that is exactly what's going on, that the Father gifts us to Jesus. Verse 3, now this is eternal life. Have you ever thought, what is eternal life? What, is it, what does it mean to have eternal life? What does it mean to have eternal life? It's just really a kind of a kind of simple question. But how important is the question? Very. Because if you have any kind of destination disease like most of us have, we're looking forward to what? We're looking forward to what? You can say it. Heaven. I'm looking forward to heaven. So what is eternal life? Eternal life that they know you, the only true God that they know you, that I would know you, that, that Landis would know you, the one true God, that Marilyn, thank you, Marilyn, for, for Marilyn's back in town, and so everyone say hi to Marilyn right now. Marilyn. That Marilyn would know you, the one true God. I had to embarrass her because here she is. We love her. So Marilyn would know the one true God. That is eternal life. That is eternal life. That we would have a relationship with Jesus. That's how we know we have eternal life. You're like, man, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm going to go to heaven or not. I don't know if I have eternal life. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Very simple. That's what it says. And then he goes on. He says, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, and Jesus submitted himself, the one true God, three triune parts, submitted himself to come down here. But he is still part of that one true God, isn't he? And so through the Son. We have this relationship with the Father because the Son is who got up on the cross for me and for you if you've trusted in him. And so Jesus really is, in this prayer, explaining to his disciples, but also just acknowledging before the Father that they would know us. The one true God, yes, but also his Son. John 3.35 says this, The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands, including us. 
Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them, because there is no other payment for sin except for what? The wages of sin is death. What do you get for sinning? Death. What is the payment for sin? Death. And if that one truth doesn't come through to you today, I want you to think about it. There is only one commodity that pays for sin. It is death. And we see that through the Old Testament, the sacrificial system. We see that in the garden. Something had to die for the, to cover, to, to, for the first to cover them because they realized they were naked because they had sinned. And so something, the wage of sin is death. And the only one who can pay for us is someone who is perfect and who has never sinned himself. And that is Jesus. And that's what John was talking about in John chapter 3 when he was having a discourse with Nicodemus. James 2.19 says this. So this whole idea of believing in Jesus is an interesting one. James 2.19, James says this. You believe that there is one God? Good. There's that one God again. Even the demons believe that and shudder. An intellectual understanding of God does not save you because to know that eternal life is this, that you would know what? The one true God. It is not just believing that there is a God. Do you believe in, pick your favorite historical uh, figure, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington. You could say, yeah, I believe in all of those people. Do they have the power to pay for sin, or do they have any kind of power to change your destiny? No. So belief in itself, isn't it? Belief leads, this belief leads us to faith, and faith then leads us to a relationship with Jesus. And so what James is saying is this. Now, just knowing that Jesus Christ is a historical figure that lived 2,000 years ago, lots of scholars believe that, and yet they don't believe that he is their Savior and that they have never put their trust in him, nor are they following him. So belief has to be described in a very uh, uh, defined way. John 17 forces this, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Okay, what was the work that Jesus finished at this point in time while he was leaving the upper room discourse with his disciples. He had washed their feet. They had had this meal together, and they were going to the garden. What, what work had Jesus finished at this point in time? Can you even tell me? Why did Jesus say, I have brought, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do? Here's Why? Jesus was so sure that what he was going to go through in the future day, that, that it was so certain that it had already happened, that he knew that he would get arrested, that he would be betrayed, that he would be brought before Caiaphas, that he would be brought before Pilate, even before it happened. He had all of that, all of that knowledge was there. And that he would finish the work, which of course, when, when does Jesus say, I finally finished the work? He says that later on in John 19.30, it says this, when he had received the drink and he's on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus sees ahead of time that he's going to go to the cross as in this high priestly prayer. And he, he says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. How do you and I bring glory to God? What has he given you to do? What's the first thing we must do? We, we need to trust in him, and we need to believe in the one true God and to have a relationship. We enter into that relationship, and sometimes that relationship starts off kind of like just a basic knowledge. 
So you meet somebody, you don't know them before, and all of a sudden that relationship starts to, to kind of, maybe kind of, there's some interchange of words, and you kind of know a little bit about their background. Pretty soon you're best friends. Pretty soon you're calling each other 15 years later. And you know each other in a very intimate, in an intimate way. And you lean on each other for trouble because you've been through troubles before and that person has maybe either supported you in one way or the other. And as that trust grows, you, you actually entrust them with more and more and more. And that is exactly the re- relationship that Jesus is talking about. And so the finished work starts with us having a relationship with him. And then as Jesus prompts us and as we spend time with him and we learn to trust him and what he has said in his word, we have this dialogue with him that he is just like one of our bestest, bestest friends and one who we go to whenever we're in trouble. And the work that Jesus finished on the cross was really just a completion of his obedience to submit himself to the Father's will and to to redeem as many people as possible. The work that he finished was really for you and me. That was his work. And so he brought glory on earth by finishing the work Saving me, saving you, if you know him. He goes on, John 6, 37 says this, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Some of the lingo in there is kind of confusing. You look at this, and it says, it is not to do my Father, but the will of him who sent me. And then he says, it is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all those he has given me. What does it mean to lose none of all of those he has given me? It means this, as the Father has given us as a gift to him. If we respond to Jesus and we follow him, he won't, we won't lose. We won't be lost. We will be secure with him in our relationship with him. And our hope from Easter is this, is that at one point in time in the future, we too will raise up at the last day, just as he prayed to the Father. And so we have the hope that Jesus has And this is all because of the fact that the Father has gifted the Son, us, his church. John 17, 5. This is the last verse of his prayer for himself as he prays to be glorified. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Okay, little think time. Think about two million years ago, what was going on in the godly heaven. What do you picture when you see that? Who's there? God, God and God, right? There's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit, right? And they're all together, and there's no separation, and they are just with each other. And there is a communion of them, and they've been with each other for millions and millions before that period of time. And Jesus now is separated from the Father. Now, I'll admit it, when I went to college for the first time, okay, Plentywood, Montana, small little town, drove out to Bozeman. I was there for about two weeks, and my mom told me, she said, you, you call this after about two weeks. You're pretty homesick. You're, you're pretty homesick. I'm like, I was? Yeah, you were pretty homesick. Can you imagine Jesus having been with the Father and the Holy Spirit all throughout eternity, spending eternity with those, that communion, 
to be separated and put on this, this earth that is not exactly perfect for a mission that is not exactly fun and very painful. And Jesus is now got his plane ticket, so to say, spiritual plane ticket. And where is he going to be heading? He's going home. He's going home. He's going to return to his father. He's going to return to his place that he has from all eternity. He was excited. And he's praying this, that he, that he would be glorified, that he, would, that he would finish the work that was called for him to do. But he was so certain of it that he's already praying it as if it already happened. And he's looking forward to returning to being with uh, his father. It's a really beautiful picture as he looks uh, to going home, as he is looking also in the, in the middle of that, that there's a cross in between him and home. There's a price to be paid, and he's willing to do it. Now he shifts his prayer from himself to now to his apostles, and then later on to all of his followers. And so as he, as he does this, he, says, um, he, said, he said all these things. He said that they know that everything you've given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me and accepted them. He talks about his word in here. So he says, I reveal to you those whom you have gave me out of the world, they were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. He starts off talking about the word and, and how these, these disciples or these apostles had obeyed their word, and that was one of the distinguishing things that, that Jesus prayed for them. Now that they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. So here's this acceptance of his words, and so he's, he's, he's giving them these words, and later they're going to be written down, and they accept them. And everything he says, they're always like, Jesus, what do you mean by that? And there's discussions they have kind of after the, the, the mass discussion. They always ask Jesus, hey, what did you mean by that? And they, they're accepting that, and their faith is expressed. And so Jesus is praying for those who have received his word and are his true followers because he knows what is going to be facing them ahead. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. So Jesus doesn't necessarily exclude the, the world in his cares, but for this time in this prayer, he's praying specifically for his kids. Now, if you're a parent, you, you pray for a lot of other kids, other parents' kids, you do because you care about them, and you've probably grown up caring about them. Um, and so you have a prayer, you pray for them, but you also pray for your kids in a very special way. And you probably pray for your kids more when they are no longer in your house. Just a little, just a spoiler alert: you're going to pray for your kids more when they're out of your house than when they're in your house. Okay? And Jesus is going to be doing what pretty soon? He is going to be leaving. He's going home. And he's leaving his disciples here on earth. And his concern is what? That they stay the course. That their word that he has implanted in them, that they've obeyed, sticks with them. And, and no one's perfect. And so he realizes, well, I've, I've, there's a prayer for protection here. I pray that they would be kind of set apart and, and, and different than maybe those people around them. And so he doesn't pray for the world and generally pray specifically for them. And it's a powerful thing when we pray for our kids in that way. And Jesus does that for his disciples. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, 
the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And so here's this prayer of protection, and just like any, any parent would do, you're, you're, you're leaving the house, right, Chance? You're leaving, I just want to get out the door, and, and as you're going out the door, man, parents are just buckling down like, oh, please, please protect Mike, or please protect whoever it is, and still at the same time realizing that, you know what, they, they have been with Jesus for that long. Even though they've been with Jesus that long, there are some difficulties we're just going to look at uh, just a, a snapshot of one of the people who Jesus prays for, that he prays that he stays the course, and just kind of how that whole thing played out. And real quickly, we see that Peter, the life of Peter, is, is a, a really neat life to look at because Peter wasn't perfect, just like many of the Bible people that you read about. God didn't drop perfect people. Obviously, we all have, uh, I guess, weaknesses, and, and we all sin. But what we see is that Jesus calls Peter, and that Peter at some point in time is asked, who do you think I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him until later on. The hour has come. So we see Jesus, is, Jesus calls Peter to, 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 to claim this whole deity thing. Hey, Jesus, uh, you are my Messiah. And then what happens next is we see that there's a transfiguration that occurs, which is a really glimpse of the glory that Jesus is going to be regaining with his Father as he returns to heaven. And so as you read the transfiguration, this uh, passage in Mark, you see that they're, they're together and there's this amazing sight. And Peter's so excited, he just doesn't know what to do with himself because he's, he's, trying, to, he's trying to kind of hold his, his excitement together. And as they are going down the mountain, Jesus again tells them, hey, you know what? Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Even though you've got a picture of glory, don't tell anybody. And then we see this picture of Peter, and these are chronological. Even after he's, he's already said that Jesus is his Messiah, that he's seen the transfiguration, he's seen Jesus in his glory, we have Peter doing what? He's what? Denying Jesus. And we, as we celebrate Easter, we see this you know, he's asked, is, you know, are you one of them? And Jesus and Peter just denies him flat out. Not once, not twice, but how many times? Three times. And so there's this denial of Jesus, even though he has said he's his Messiah. And then we see in John 21, uh, Jesus is at the Sea of Tiberias, and he has now already been to the cross and resurrected, and he calls Peter to him to have a little meeting together because of the falling out and the, the denial. So he says, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said, th said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify. Then he said to him, follow me. Follow me. And so Jesus said, says to Peter, who he cares about so much, who has already declared him as being Messiah, his command to him is what? After falling, follow me. And that is exactly what we do. Those of us who believe in the one true God, who, who believe that Jesus is uh, one, the one true God, follow him. 
And so when we look at this key passage, John 17, 3, where it says that, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, and that this is eternal life, what we see is that Jesus is saying to us, follow me. That's how we live out our existence here. That's what we do. So sometimes we can have a destination disease, and that's this. When I get to heaven, what? Everything's going to be what? Is that true? It is going to be perfect, right? But right now, what's true? There will be trouble. And yet in this life, there will be trouble, but what else is true? In this life, there's, tr- there's trouble f- for the people who don't come here and who do, no- do not know the one true God. And where do they go? Who do you go to if you do not know the one true God? I don't know. I, I don't know. We were talking about this in men's, men's group on Friday morning, and Corey was kind of, kind of sharing with us and just asking, hey, what, is, you know, what, what does it mean to have this eternal life right now? And you know, one of the most obvious things to me is this, that if I did not know the one true God, and as this world is full of trouble, I would lack peace all of the time. And you can see it now, can't you? As you look around, you see people who are lacking peace. They don't know where this world is going. They don't know who's in charge. They don't know the rules change. Everything is just messed up. And yet, the, true, the truth is this. We can have peace right now. Not when we get to heaven, but right now. Because we know who's in charge and what's going to happen. And that can change our perspective quite a bit. Corey was sharing with us a book that he, was, that he had read, and this is kind of a, a little bit connected to the idea of how we perceive God. Uh, it's called The Theology of Dogs and Cats, Cat and Dog Theology. Okay, good, apparently a good read. And, and here's the, the, the kind of the summary of it. When, when you come home from work, does your cat sit on the windowsill? And, and, and when, you, when you come in, do they, do they, do they want to cuddle up with you and do all those things that cats love to do? We have a cat that's kind of like that. It's kind of a hybrid. But for the most part, cats are what? Yeah. Cats are kind of about themselves, aren't they? They're, it's kind of different. When a dog sees you come home, what's the response of the dog? I have been waiting, Lucy, I've been waiting for you all day, Bob. And so Lucy is just like excited because this is, this is the thing. And so Lucy has this perspective of kind of serving Bob. She wants to scratch him and run, take him for whatever it is. But the cat really is just like walks, like here's how our cat works. He has little signals. He knows how to communicate. So first of all, he'll wake you up or he'll scratch or he'll steer you towards his cat bowl. And if you don't get it, he'll, he'll kind of look back at you like, come on, dummy, you got this. And then he'll, he, then he'll, and then he'll try it again. And, and it's all about not, not serving me, but what? Serving him. Sometimes we can have a theology that down here looks a little bit more like, what have you done for me lately, God? When in reality, we're already in eternity. We are already eternity it has already started because eternal life is what? To know the one true God. Do you know the one true God right now? Then eternal life has already started for you. It will be different, but we will serve God in a very different way. 
we'll probably be more like dogs than cats. And I have to say that's part of our sinfulness, that we just, we just don't worship him. We don't glorify him enough. That's really what a dog does. He glorifies you. He's like all about you. I just love every part about you. And cats, not so much. I appreciate what Corey shared because it really is very much true. We grow in knowing the one true God by learning to trust in him. We grow in knowing the one true God by learning to trust in him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And what? Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Isn't that true? Trust in the Lord. Not on our own understanding. There's this word, oikoid, and it's a Greek word that says, I, I got the memo. I understand intellectually what's going on. But there's also a word that says, I know who you are, like a father knows his daughter or his wife. And it's an intimate knowledge between what Jesus and the Father have is even maybe a layer, a layer above that. But we can know Jesus in a way that is very, very intimate. And it comes by sharing things with him and by trusting him over and over and realizing that he is a trustworthy friend, that we walk with him. And then there's Psalm 37.4, which is an amazing psalm. I asked Carla and Stephen to to study this one, and they have this last week. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Just think about that. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you spend time delighting in the Lord, kind of like your dog delights in you? I mean, there's just this idea of just worshiping and going, I just, I'm just crazy about you. It says, commit your ways to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward Shine like the dawn. Sounds pretty cool. There's a knowledge that we have between us, each other, and we might know each other. And then there's a knowledge between a husband and a wife, and that's kind of what we, with the knowledge that is expressed between Jesus and us. And, and God obviously knows us very, very intimately. He knows us. He made us. Okay, so there's no secrets. He knows everything about us, and he loves us anyway. And that knowledge, we get to look forward to not just this kind of a lateral knowledge that we, we see here, but a different kind of knowledge that we get to understand maybe a little bit more later on. There's a perfection that will occur. Matthew 11 says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. This is epikonoso. It's a Greek word that says it's only between them. They know each other like we will never know, each, that, know them. They have that to themselves. Except the Son, and who's to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then in 1 Corinthians, Paul gives us a snapshot of how in, in the future, we're going to have a relationship with God that's very, very different than we have right now. And so we have eternal life now, and we have this relationship with him. But it's going to be a lot different. When you get married to someone and you spent some time with them, you thought you knew them before you got married, but now you, you really know them, right? I mean, don't have to say anything. Just, you, just, you just know them. You know them in a different way. And so it, it's just the truth. Well, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. It's kind of like we're dating in a, in a certain way. We, just, we know them, but not, maybe not necessarily to a depth. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. God knew 
Paul, he made Paul at one point in time. We are going to be able to know God in a way that is so great. So there is a destination disease. It's a good one. That our eternal life has begun right now as we know the one true God. And if you don't know the one true God, if you don't know what I'm talking about, please come up and talk to Pastor Try or I to, 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 to straighten that all out. How do you know God? How can you have that relationship? For the rest of us, it really comes down to this, following Jesus, spending time in his word, spending time in prayer. It might mean that tomorrow morning, you're going to get up an extra 10 minutes early to spend some time in his word. It might mean that next Monday or Wednesday or Thursday, you're going to go and you're going to meet with a bunch of other people who also want to know him more. And you're going to be in a small group and you're going to get to know him in a deeper way because you're going to learn about cat and dog theology or you're going to get something out of a group because when we're together, we get to know him in a different way than when we're separate. It's just part of our relationship with him. It's just like when you spend time with your spouse Sometimes you spend time with your spouse and other people, and you get to see a different side of them. It's going to be exciting. We're going to get to see him in all his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your son, for his sacrifice. We look to Easter, and we think we have a hope to look forward to that is so, so amazing. And yet, right now, we know, we know you because of the fact that we know the one true God, that you have given us your son, and that your son has paid for our sins and allowed us to have a relationship with you that is now there is no barrier between us and you. We thank you for this. We ask that you would help us to, to grow in our relationship with you, that this would just be the beginning of an amazing relationship that we would get to look forward to, and that this relationship leads to a place where we know you so deeply that we trust you with everything that we do, that when the world and the, the cares of this world come about us, that we turn to you, that when we, have, uh, when we have victories in this world, that we turn to you. We give you glory, much like your son has given you glory. We thank you for this text. We thank you for this prayer. We thank you that this prayer is about us. It's for our protection. It's for our blessing that, that your son would think so much of us that before he left this earth, he would pray for us. That's an amazing thing, that you love us that much. So we thank you for this, this time together. Thank you for your word. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.